0: Playing Crazy Down Under's coverage of AirVenture 2011 is proudly sponsored by JetRide Australia. Be a top gun for the day. Visit jetride.com.au slash p-c-d-u. Pracy Racing. Proudly flying the Aussie flag at the Reno Air Races. PracyRacing.com. Aviation Advertiser. Australia's largest aviation marketplace. Make buying and selling easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. The GA8 Airvan. Built down under by Gippsero, Aero, and by ThrombiAir, a satirical look at the world of low cost air travel. ThrombiAir.com, the lowest of the low.
1: Well, g'day folks and welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode 70 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. Well, I'm Steve Vischer. And he's I'm Grand Grant McCarron. <laughs> yeah, he's Grant and, Well, we're not really Australia-Pacific uh, this, this episode, mate. We're at Oshkosh.
2: That's right, mate. We're uh, standing here in the grounds of Camp Shola and there's aviation starting to be committed around us. People, uh, well, a lot of people have already woken up well before us. Uh, But yeah,
1: it's a uh, beautiful morning, yet another one and uh, we're here. Boy, Yay. boy, and uh, let's talk about the trip, mate. It was a long haul across oh, here. Right? You know, as right. I said to quite a few people, I think either that trip's getting longer, or maybe the planet's getting bigger, or maybe <laughs> I'm just getting a bit older. It's uh, did that one a bit harder than uh, than memory serves me from uh, previous trips. It is getting harder
2: to squeeze into those seats, mate. I tell you, and it's not just talking about physical, ah, uh, we're getting bigger, it's just sitting, I'm getting for, fatter. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, it's not just that aspect, man, it's the 14 hours.
1: Of long haul, sitting in the seat and getting up occasionally, and yeah, are we there yet, Hites? Yeah, yeah. So we got into LAX, we had a few hours at LAX, and then we uh, squeezed into an American Airlines flight. wasn't too impressed with that, boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those center, yeah. We but we copped
2: center seats on an exit row, both uh, one in front of the other, and yeah, they were they were narrow. I mean, I've I've heard the joke that you, uh, I mean, I've I've heard. I've heard the joke that uh, Alan Shepard had more space in the uh, Mercury capsule than we do in the center seat of an old 727 or 737, and, and it's pretty true.
1: But this was a new one too; it was a next-gen 737, and it, uh, it was pretty. Kn- Actually, a few hours ago. But anyway, we made it there, and we made it into a very hot Chicago, mate. I reckon it must have been—we uh, stepped down the jetway there, and I reckon it must have been all of about 40 degrees. Uh, the hottest it's been in 10 years here in, uh, in the Chicago area yeah yeah so uh, we uh, we were picked up by none other than um, rob mark from uh, airplane geeks and jet one and uh, we yeah uh, uh, very kindly let us uh, set up camp in his office <laughs> which is located uh, pretty close to his house so um yeah we uh, sort of invaded that and turned it into camp jet one for a few days uh, you uh, didn't stay there too long actually you headed off to uh, uh, to the Bonanzas to Oshkosh.
2: That's right. Um, that's right, mate. Uh, Baz, Sheffers and I, we uh, jumped in a Cirrus with Rob. We went down to Chicago Executive Airport. And as we're setting up the Cirrus, oh, look at the B-17. And lots wow. and lots and lots of biz jets going on and off the runway. But, uh, yeah, watched a 17 taxi pass. That was the first one I'd ever seen. And, uh, yeah, so we, uh, we basically took off out of there and uh, headed out to Rockford. Rockford, Illinois, where the Bonanzas to Oshkosh guys were uh, gathering. And even at that stage there was something like 80, uh, 80 or 90 aircraft on the ramp at UPS. And uh, that was pretty impressive to see all those Bonanzas and Barons. Uh, but we hung out with them and then on the Saturday morning uh, had our breakfast and a briefing and uh, jumped in the planes and took part in the hundred no sorry yeah, 109 uh, Bonanzas and Barons plus one King Air that arrived into Oshkosh. So all flying in
1: formation, it was quite impressive. Yeah, and uh, Baz was actually, uh, of course, Baz, uh, Baz actually arranged to be here probably uh, a the better part of 12 months ago. So uh, it was good to catch up with him. And uh, he's been going around collecting a lot of interviews. You'll hear a few of those in this episode. Uh, David Vanderhoof is also here. We've uh, caught up with our great friend. I mean, it's been great to catch up with people that uh, you know we've, we've known for a long time, a couple of years at least now, and yeah. uh, meeting these people in the flesh. We've met uh, Dan Webb as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. Dan yeah. t- turned up and insulted us, like always. So yeah, no, like, We awesome. started awesome. picking on him for wearing a pink shirt, so yeah. it was just situation t- normal.
2: Yeah, it's been great, mate, and hanging out here in Camp Shola with the other podcasters has been awesome. Uh, meeting up and putting faces to the voices in your head, as they say, has been a lot of fun. But I must say, that first night I stayed here, I was camping in the North 40, uh, so that's another tick done that. And, uh, yeah, it was hot, it was humid, and sure enough, we had a kick-ass thunderstorm about 3.15 in the morning, uh, wall of red on the radar from Green Bay all the way down, uh, down south, well past us. And it was just advancing on us like a pack of uh, All Blacks charging the ball. It was pretty scary to see. Uh, yeah, so that was cool. The tent held up,
1: and uh, that I was
2: staying in, and didn't get too badly mauled.
1: And yeah, it was good. Yeah. Now there's a team of actually five of us here. We've, uh, of course, we got uh, the four of us that we've mentioned, but my uh, my friend from uh, Bloomington, Illinois, who's just silly enough to be standing behind us, so we're going to grab him. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike Wilson? He's a friend of mine. I've known him for a, what? How long, Michael? Probably fifteen or so years. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, long time. So, uh, Michael, we 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 sort of grabbed you here on the false premise of uh, giving us a ride up to oshkosh we uh, we dragged you all around here the, yesterday and uh, uh you must be feeling pretty sore this morning <laughs> yeah a little, a little bit no worries uh <laughs> i'll get through it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first day we got uh, how many more days five six more days yeah yeah that's all easy
3: it was nice weather yesterday and uh, nice breeze so uh I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: we appreciate your help, Mike's uh, got a nice big van, so he's been dragging us. Part of us, so he's been. Uh cutting all our gear all over the place, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's been really good. And uh, we ended up making him our impromptu camera guy yesterday. <laughs> uh, one of those lenses I got is quite heavy, so I think we had to stop and have a rest quite a few times. So <clears throat> uh, it's conveniently near a pub each time, right? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Now we must confess that we're re-recording this intro because things were probably just a little bit are probably just a little bit tight and emotional last night when we when we recorded yeah. the original <clears throat> intro to this show. So. Uh, so uh, we will uh, we'll throw out to the interviews now. Now, uh, basically, we're recording this on the start of day two. Day one was really all about trying to scrape the place out and get a feel for the size of the place. And uh, you'll hear me mention uh, when we do the uh, after the interviews that it, re- it really is quite overwhelming the size of this place. I mean, we knew it was big, but. Uh, to come here and see it, it's uh, its unbelievable. In fact, I reckon the campground we're standing in is probably bigger than the Avalon Air Show. <laughs> yeah, well, there's certainly a lot more uh, activity and things to see in here, just so
2: long as you don't mind seeing RVs and tents. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, what more can one say? But that's no moon, that's a space station. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's exactly right. So we'll head out now and play a small selection of uh, the interviews we collected yesterday. Uh, we'll be doing at least three shows while we're here, plus Potterpalooza. And uh, we'll be collecting some video as well, so uh, Grant, let's uh, kick it off uh, with the first couple of interviews. Sure, let's go for it man. Okay, well, when we were at Avalon last, we spoke to many people, but we spoke to a, a very interesting uh, airshow performer, Ken Peach, and we made a promise that if we were ever at Oshkosh, we'd interview him. And, well, we're here at Oshkosh, and I'm talking to Ken. How are you?
4: Yeah, you know, I'm glad to be here in Oshkosh. I'm really glad to see you here in Oshkosh. Yeah, yeah, this no, is, yeah, this yeah. is a
1: special treat. So, you guys had a good flight over? Oh, yeah, a little bit squashed. I actually think I'm getting older or the planet's getting bigger, but see <laughs> that flight's a long one. <laughs> that is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Kent, uh, you here? The same aircraft again, and uh, different different truck this time.
4: Actually, it's a different airplane and a different truck. Oh, this really? airplane here is, uh, uh, as you can see, 37428, and it was uh, off the assembly line as a serial number of 273. Uh, and the other one was um, 37361204 oh, was a serial number. Right. Uh, the truck is an RV that I land on. It's got. It's the uh, first one I actually used in Abbotsford, British Columbia. I bought it there from the Everford Airshow Society, uh, Larry Runnels, and uh, and then I put had a last night from K-Line trailer, put the rack on top, and I had the first time try to fly and land on that, and I couldn't do it, so I had my good friend, Jimmy Franklin, oh. didn't land
1: on it the first time, and then I had to, and then I flew the show that weekend.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Now you keep a number of number of trucks in the in the uh, the inventory, don't you? I think you told us last time when you were in Melbourne you were using a more of an SUV type of thing. Yeah,
4: the, in Melbourne I had the uh, it was a uh, you know I don't know the language of Ute, I don't know if that's it's a Ute. Is. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a pickup. It's a big it, Ute that yeah, one. It, yeah, there you go, <laughs> yeah. and it's
4: got a uh, it's got a rack on it too. It's actually called a Chevy Silverado. which is a three-quarter ton pickup, is what we call it here. And I have that and this, and that's what I have for vehicles.
1: Right. Now, uh, this is a different aircraft Of course. The paint scheme looks the same, which sort of threw me off. So, right. I mean, how many of these have you got? I've got two two?
4: and building up another one. Right. And uh, this one here is the first one I got, and I bought it from my Uncle Leonard, uh, (laughs) my my dad's brother. And it's... uh, 1942 model, right. and he had it, he was fox hunting, coyote hunting with it up in North Dakota, right. and I bought it from him in
1: 1974. Yeah, okay, and a similar sort of power plant. Or?
4: 90 horsepower both yeah, of them yeah, yeah, yeah continental just,
1: just sort of cruise along yeah and this show that you're going to do here at oshkosh because you've got a much bigger crowd is there a different routine this time or just is well you know
4: thing? over in avalon you guys you guys like to work a guy over there in australia yeah, we don't so. look around in australia there's no there's right? no none, none, yeah there's none of that sitting around there i'd had to do three shows a day there basically if yeah, i remember yeah. right some of them here they've got a lot of performers here so a limited time schedule for me uh, i'll be doing the car top landing today uh, as far as the schedule for tomorrow, I'm not even sure, but it'll either be that or that dead stick where I shut the engine off yeah, at 6,000 yeah. feet or the comedy act where the thing falls apart, do my own maintenance.
1: Yeah, and no, I actually see so you putting the uh, <coughs> seat in there just in case that might come in. Nice to have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah You yeah. can have it out of there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, since Avalon, it's been a few months now, so what have you been doing since we last spoke to you? Well, I'll
4: tell you, I've had I've had some pretty interesting times. I, I've i had an air show in Beale, uh, California next, and then I went down to Eglin. Uh, in, in uh, Florida and then over to New River and I pretty much got stopped and I lost to quite a few shows. I got flooded at home. We had incredible floods in oh, no. Minot, North Dakota and I lost my hangars and my house. Oh, no. And so I'm recovering from that but uh, I've done some shows afterwards. I'm back on the road and I'm feeling good about being out here in dry land.
1: Yeah. So yep. uh, now, of course, it's the summer across here in the United States right. so you've obviously be very, very busy. Yes. So, we've uh, yes. course, Oshkosh but what's next on the call? Well, the next
4: one after this is going to be over in... Uh, uh, this weekend, I'm getting a, I'm riding with the uh, the guy that owns Jelly Belly, Herm Rowland, on his jet, back to Travis Air Base out in California. And I'll be doing that not this year weekend coming up. I'm flying here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe Thursday. And then we're going back Friday, Saturday, Sunday flying over there. Then I go up into Canada to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, fly a show there the next weekend. The next weekend, I go to Abbotsford, British Columbia. Okay. The next weekend after that, I go over to... Uh, um, Waterloo, and then I go on and on from there. Right, it's, right, yeah, right, it's right.
1: constant. Yeah. So when does the season end for you? Or is it uh, November? November. Yeah, you set down for the cold season, obviously. Yeah. 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 And uh, we're likely to see you back in Avalon in uh, 2013.
4: They sounded very positive about that. Yeah. They said you were coming back, and I said, well, absolutely. You can't hold me away from Australia. I had a great time over with all you guys, and I don't want to miss it. Yeah, absolutely. They sound like they wanted me back, and I'm really happy to hear that.
1: Well, let's make it a date for our next interview next time we yeah, see that's you. That's a deal. Absolutely. Can't very thanks very much for joining thanks. us. thanks, Steve.
5: I'm standing here with uh, Will Camino, and he's the distributor um, uh, from Sport Air uh, USA. And Bill, you've got a very interesting-looking aircraft uh, here. Can you tell us uh, tell us what I'm looking at?
6: Yes, uh, this is a uh, an acrobatic aluminum aircraft, bus for uh, the LSA market. It is presently in prototype status, but we will have it uh, certified for LSA by the Sebring Air Show in January. It's an aluminum structure with uh, carbon fiber parts with a non-turbocharged 130 horsepower engine on it, purpose-built for acrobatics. It's intended to be competitive in the primary sportsman and intermediate level. Basically, it's like a small extra, uh, but at one third of the cost.
5: OK, Yeah, we're looking at a, a single seat here. Um, now about aerob- or acrobatics, as you, as you say, here in the US in LSA aircraft. Can sport pilots uh, do acrobatics, or would you need a full private with all the uh, aerobatic endorsements?
6: No, a sport pilot can do that, and someone operating as a sport pilot can fly acrobatics. There is a requirement for a tailwheel endorsement, because it is a tailwheel aircraft. But the acrobatics are just a matter of training. Okay,
5: and um, what would you have to do to prepare to fly an aircraft like this? Because obviously a, a private pilot that's learned in a 172 and then maybe even got their tail, uh, tailwheel endorsement in something you wouldn't just jump into an extra 300 and take off. Is there anything, a special training you, you'd need, experience for this aircraft?
6: Yes, we use a... a, a Vans RV-8, a two-seat, similar side-by-side, side, similar wing loading with a larger power. And that uh, will be the checkout mechanism for the people who are unaccustomed to the uh, high-performance aircraft.
5: Fantastic. And uh, so the, the engine, if we, if we step here and have a closer look, uh, uh, EPA Power is the, is the manufacturer?
6: It's an Italian uh, automotive racing engine that is... Uh, the company name is EPA Power, EPA Power, and uh, they take a brand new Rotax 912 S and totally disassemble it and then reassemble it, balancing and polishing and porting and installing the, uh, removing the carburetors and the ignition system, installing injection system and the ignition system and the inverted oil system. It's all controlled by a computer, very similar to most modern automobiles, so the computer knows where every part of the engine is at any time in the firing cycle and adjusts the fuel to fit the load.
5: And that uh, takes the uh, the 912S up from 100 horsepowers to the 130?
6: Yes, uh, it's not a Rotax engine, it's an power engine but it's uh primarily based from a core of a 912S, a new airplane.
5: Yeah, there's definitely some parts in there that look uh, rather familiar
6: uh, to me. Uh, propeller, is it uh, fixed pitch or is it variable? Uh, for the acrobatics, this is uh, an in-flight adjustable hydraulic propeller made by MT, a very good German company that uh, performs flawlessly. You can set the RPM and on a vertical line it won't move and when you rotate the nose and do a down line, the RPM doesn't move. We're very, very pleased with the propeller. It's
5: a very beautiful uh, looking aircraft. Very, very interesting. Um, so it's it's currently in prototype stage. You're working towards having a special LSA uh,
6: approval. When uh, January of two twelve, there is a large U.S. show in Sebring, Florida, uh, called Sebring LSA Expo, and we will have the LSA version there. We anticipate most of the aircraft to be experimental exhibition or uh, experimental LSA so that the pilots can tinker with it. Nothing is more dangerous than two pilots going the same way because that's called a race and each one will want to tweak his airplane to his personal wants and under the experimental LSA or experimental exhibition that could be done. Are there any plans to bring this
5: to other countries as well?
6: Yes, the uh, manufacturer is in Milan, Italy. It's uh, Dallaire Aeronautica and it will be a production aircraft available to the rest of Europe also.
5: Well, we look forward to seeing it uh, fly, and especially uh, seeing it fly in Australia and uh, hopefully next year. Uh, thank you very much for your time, and uh, best of luck with the show.
6: You're welcome. Have a good show.
5: And after speaking with the distributor, Bill, we found uh,
7: the test pilot, uh, whose nickname is Jack. But what's, what's your real name? It's uh, Giacomo. I came from Italy, from Florence, and uh, I worked on... Uh, with the guys, the late guys, for uh, testing the aircraft, actually. And uh, Bill tells me you've got quite a bit of experience in high-performance aircraft. What are the other aircraft you've uh, flown? Well, several. I, I generally fly with a uh, um, Eurofighter, uh, Tornado AMX, um, F-16. I'm a, basically a military experimental test pilot, so I do that for free during my uh, you know, my spare time. So and maybe new airplanes? And maybe new airplanes, yeah. Right.
5: Like, and so uh, you've been test flying this from day one. Um, what's what's your opinion of it? What uh, how does it how does it fly compared to uh, other uh, you know
7: bigger, more expensive uh, acrobatic aircraft? Yeah, I've flown uh, competition aerobatics always in my spare time. Obviously, during during the years, and I've flown with an extra 300 and uh, with a Sukhoi 26 and 31. And I can tell you, this is a really nice aircraft to fly. Very easy, very permitting. I mean, you can actually screw up every kind of maneuver. It won't spin, it won't get you in trouble. And uh, that's a big thing. So, very good for sportmen, very good for intermediate. It actually can do snaps, it can do vertical rolls. So you can go, to all the maneuvers in the catalogue up to intermediate uh, category and uh, so that, that's where, where we're going. We're finishing the testing probably during the autumn so it will be completed. The aircraft is already ready to, to fly immediately and I flew several air shows and several aerobatic routine uh, for showing the aircraft, four points roll, eight point roll, no, no problem. So. And, 360 roll. Oh, yeah, 360, like yeah, for there sure, yeah, that's the <laughs> 360 rolling circles, no problem. I mean, it doesn't have limitation in inverter fly, it doesn't have limitation in negative Gs, except plus minus six, which is a lot for an LSA. So, pretty impressive actually. and uh, The work was uh, easy for me actually. And, and
5: how easy is it for people to start flying this? Someone like me, who's a, who's a 200 hour sport pilot, I've, I fly in the Vector Star. Uh, I'll soon have my tailwheel endure, endorsement. Obviously I'm
7: not acrobatic trained yet, but just getting into it, would it be a hard aircraft for me to fly normally? I know it's impressive because it's a single seater, but I, th- I can tell you it's the easier, and, and Bill can tell the same, is e- the easiest one I've flown from tailwheel between the tailwheel, it's the easiest one. It's easy because you have uh, great visibility and it's so intuitive because the, the tailwheel is actually fixed and it does it's auto centering. So you have no problem with uh, PIO, pilot induced oscillation on the pedals. It, it's easy, it, it's really easy. Really well behaving, the stall uh, characteristics are incredibly good. So uh, probably after a couple of hours, three hours of tailwheel, good tailwheel school, you're able to fly the, the plane.
5: Well, I look forward to seeing this uh, flying as I said to Bill and uh, uh, the moment I get a chance and I'm all endorsed on this kind of aircraft, I'll, uh, I'll, I'd love to take it for a spin. Thank you very much for your time, Jack. Thank you. With me now is uh, Mike Hansen from Hansen Air Group and he's the distributor in the US for FK light sport aircraft, is that correct?
8: Uh, FK light planes, right.
5: FK light planes and we're standing here next to an LSA biplane. Uh, looks like a very modern design. Uh, there's uh, this there's tandem seating. The pilots at the back looking uh, at the instruments. Um, what can you tell me about this uh, this plane? Uh, who's this? Who's his aimed at?
8: Uh, well, this is aimed at. Uh, initially, it's in for the European ultralight market. Is what it was originally designed at. Designed for. Um, they've uh, done some changes. This is the uh, the new version of the Comet, uh, the FK12 Comet. Um, this is serial number 94 of them. As a matter of fact. Uh, and this one is aimed at uh, the sport pilot who wants to go out and do some light aerobatics, or maybe the uh, aerobatic pilot who can no longer hold his medical and wants to still be able to fly aerobatics, or someone who just wants to fly an aer- uh, biplane. Um, it's just a neat airplane to fly.
5: So what are the limitations on aerobatics in this one?
8: Uh, this one will be a uh, what we we'll call gentleman's aerobatics. It'll be loops, rolls, Cubans 8s, uh, probably some spins, things like that. No Lomchevox, multiple snap rolls, things like that. Um, it'll be, a, like I said, a, a gentleman's aerobatic aircraft. The um, uh, airframe will be uh, stressed for, it'll be... They'll put a uh, um, legal limit of plus six, minus three on it, although it's been tested uh, to up to about 15 Gs. Uh, and
5: is there any special uh, airframe fatigue life if you're uh, doing aerobatics?
8: They don't have any right now. That's why they're kind of limiting it to the gentleman's aerobatics. The, uh, the um, snap maneuvers and uh, the really stressful ones will would probably limit it. So right now they're, they're limiting it to stuff that's not going to stress the airframe uh... shock it real uh, a whole lot uh... that way they can avoid kinda saying well it's gonna have a limited life on that so right now they don't have anything like that
5: and what's powering it under the cowl uh, for this
8: particular uh... aircraft which is non-aerobatic has the nine twelve rotex nine twelve uls so we cannot legally do aerobatics with this particular airframe um, we have the option for the new lycoming which will be able to do aerobatics in, and uh, maybe someday the EPA version of the Rotex.
5: That's the one we just looked at uh, in the in the beautiful um, snap. In the beautiful snap. That's yep. the one. Uh, and uh, of course, the, the advantage of this one is you can do some light aerobatics, but you can do it while you're scaring someone in the front seat.
8: Right. It's got uh, it's two seats, um, and uh, it's you can have uh, we have rudimentary. Um, uh, instruments up front um, but you have a full set of controls up front and you can actually even reach the flap lever and everything from the front seat. You can also convert it as a um, uh, several different uh, canopy versions. The basic aircraft comes as a two-hole open cockpit. Um, the what, we, what you see on it right here is the option for the double bubble which covers both. Um, it takes about five minutes to change from one to the other. We also have an option for a single cockpit. Um, it takes about 15 minutes to change from that uh, to the, because uh, you have to change that combing and everything. But it, it's a, um, it's fairly quick change, and you pick up speeds going from the open cockpit to the um, double bubble to the the single cockpit, what they call the racing canopy, and it goes about cruising about 103 knots or so, true to. With open cockpit to about 112 for the double bubble, and right out about 120 for the racing
9: canopy.
5: That's quite an efficient aircraft, especially for uh, you know a biplane with only 100 horsepower. Um, that's uh, that's that's great to see. Well, it's a it's a beautiful looking airplane. Uh, are, do you know if there's any in Australia yet?
8: I, I do not know if there's any in Australia yet. I I, I wish I could tell you, but I don't know. Um, okay. You could uh, go on the website at uh, um, FK Light Planes and they will. Um, May be able to tell you.
5: Okay, yeah, the uh, the other FK, uh, the FK-9, is making a lot of uh, inroads into Australia right now. I know a few people have in order. a few have been uh, delivered. Uh, so hopefully we'll see this one grace the st- skies of Australia soon as well.
8: I, I hope so too. I like to think it would be a, a popular airplane down there. Um, the uh, FK builds a, just a great little airplane. All the ones, that, the aircraft they build are really great. We have a... F- Versions of the FK 9 in our flight school. Um, We have the regular Mark IV and we have the ELA version. Um, And love them both aircraft. Love both aircraft as we do this one. Really looking forward to the uh, FK 14. What's that one? That's the low wing uh, that was going to be the Cirrus Light Sport. Um, That uh, Cirrus has shelved that project in favor of a more expensive project. Um, So uh, someday we'll have a version of that here in the U.S.
5: That would be fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, and uh, I hope you have a great show here.
8: Oh, thank you. Thank you for uh, stopping by. Something different
2: to talk about on Monday? Get yourself a Jetride gift pack and tear through the skies at 900k's with Australia's ultimate jet fighter experience. Be top gun for the day. Go to jetride.com.au/slash PCDU or in Australia call 1300 554 876.
6: Whether you're buying or selling a light single engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation market. Marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types. Online, 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviationadvertiser.com.au.
1: You're listening to Grant and Steve from Plane Crazy Down Under, recorded live at AirVenture Oshkosh 2011.
3: Hey folks, it's David at Oshkosh 2011, I'm here with Brandon, and we're standing next to what looks like a Cub, but it's not a Cub, and it's pretty cool. It's got some things. Brandon, you want to tell me about your airplane? Um, sure. Uh, it's uh, basically a highly
10: modified Super Cub. I just took some plans for a, a four-seat Cub called the PA-14, basically, and uh, started modifying it from there. It's just an oversized, my intention was a giant, oversized Super Cub. How does it fly? Wonderful. Uh, it'll out it cruise a Super Cub by about 20 miles an hour and land at least as slow, if not slower. With the uh, larger wings and uh, the taller gear, it can take off a little bit shorter, I think. And uh, the cowling's all closed in, and it's 180 horse like homing, so it uh, has a little more horsepower, so it seems to run a little faster down the road. So. And how long did it take you to build it? Uh, 14 months, 16 days, start to finish. Not that you were counting, right? Always. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to count you gotta keep track of you can choose one, keep track of time or money never
3: both <laughs> uh, that's a good comment especially when you're building your own airplane Yeah. so you're right down center of the show you're, you're pretty proud
10: of this huh uh, yeah I didn't pick the spot I landed in the uh, some guy with a said chairman on his name badge the home built chairman he snagged it and parked it here said we got a special parking spot for you so I said okay so that's how it ended up here and what possessed you to build your own airplane uh, it's number four for me I've built four this is the most recent iteration of not iteration but most recent airplane I've built I've built uh, two RVs previous and a breezy prior to this so it's uh, this is just and I've restored a champ and a Grumman Yankee and lots of other stuff <laughs> And how's it handle in the short takeoff and landing? I uh, good. Um, uh, lightweight solo with about half fuel, I can get it off in under 100 feet uh, in virtually no wind at sea level. Uh, done that a couple times. At um, gross weight, it runs up to about almost 300 feet takeoff roll, which is at 2,200 pounds. So it gives me about 950 pounds of useful load. So it it, it does re- does real well. Uh, I attribute the shorter takeoff. Uh, to the large wing, lightweight, and uh, also the the longer gear helps it uh, get the angle of attack of the wing up into the relative wind so it'll jump off the ground.
3: I guess the last question is, if you had to say
10: one thing about Oshkosh, what would you say? Uh, Best vacation of my life. Every every year, never miss it. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show. Appreciate your time.
1: Okay, I'm here with uh, Pablo Alvarez from Embry riddle
11: Welcome. Thank you.
1: Now, uh, we're here at, uh, at Oshkosh, and uh, you guys have got a, a big uh, training uh, marquee here talking about what you guys do, and Embry riddle is uh, quite well known around the world. Yeah. So we might to uh, talk about what it is that, uh, that you do.
11: Yes, we are a university that's geared towards uh, preparing students for fields in the aviation and aerospace industry. We have about 30 degree programs geared towards students working in there, um, regardless of where maybe the big ones are aeronautical science, professional pilot program. We we help students become uh, airline pilots, corporate pilots and military pilots. The other big one is aerospace engineering. We've actually been rated by U.S. News and World Report as the best university for aerospace engineering in the country for 11 years. Uh, we have a lot of students that come from all parts of the world for that particular program. Yeah. Students who do either aerospace engineering, even mechanical engineering or any of our engineering degree programs will have a lot of hands-on experience. Um, aerospace engineering, I know for example students who actually actually build their own aircraft, spacecraft, satellite, or rocket engine, um, and show either show that it works, or if it's affordable to build, they will actually build it, and they'll see it fly, we'll see it fly, we'll see it in operation. So these students are very affluent in softwares like CATIA and other engineering programs that are used and essential to um, uh, projects at Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop, grumman do for example.
1: And we talked a lot about international students, and most people listening to our show would know my story. I did my training back here 20 years ago in mm-hmm. the States because it was, you know, frankly, a lot Yes. less expensive to do it here. Yeah. What sort of percentage of, you said there was a percentage of students that are yes, coming no. here, do you actively market into international markets
11: like Australia do, and New yes. Zealand? Yep. Um, I, I haven't, I'm not... I can't personally have heard of them being in Australia and New Zealand. I do know we do do international admissions and recruitment. Uh, the, from the ones I've heard, Europe's a big one. South America and Asia are the top three countries where we do recruit a lot of our international students from. It is close, to, around to 20% for all of our universities. Uh, when it comes to international, students, at, that would be residential campuses primarily. We do have a worldwide campus, which has 150 centers in the United States and uh, abroad. We have campuses where students can actually go. I think there are actually a few of them in Australia, where we work in conjunction with um, other schools there and online. So they can take courses online, they can do some courses at some school there, and they would ultimately receive a bachelor's from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University.
1: And do you find that most people come here of their own volition, or are there some people that have some sort of uh, corporate backing? Like, for instance, in Australia, there's a number of training organizations where airlines from, say, Asia or India will send their students to Australia. Mm -hmm. Do do you do that sort of thing? With worldwide? Absolutely.
11: It's mostly seen with worldwide. Uh, As far as the residential campuses, not so much. Residential campuses require that you live on campus, that you spend uh, every day for about four years there. So we don't see a lot of professionals who have a corporate background, who have a life pretty much established, making such huge sacrifices to all of a sudden, to start committing all that time there, so a lot of them will choose to do it online because it allows them to continue being with their families, to continue even their career perhaps, and be able to continue on and pursue other
1: degrees. Right, and so uh, you quite prepared to take somebody with uh, from the right from the ab initio stage and with no experience Absolutely. right through to the airlines? I was at yep.
11: Benicio at the yep. university. I'm not flying it because I'm working on my master's degree, but yes, we all come. Um, they can come, and we actually prefer that a little bit. Embry-Riddle prides itself in that, in, in the way we train uh, for our students. We train them, we're not training them to go fly for fun, though, you can fly for, for pleasure. We understand that the students that come to Embry-Riddle want to make this their career, and they have a passion for it. So we're going to train them the way you would fly in the airlines, the way you would fly in the corporate, and the way you would fly in the military industry to give them that marketability when they go out there. They'll know what how those industries operate. They'll know how those industries train and be better prepared to uh, administer them and handle that and get employed ultimately.
1: Yeah. Now, of course, we're living in some pretty savage economic times, uh, well, in this country, but really all around the world at the moment. But in spite of that, there seems to be an upcoming increasing demand for pilots. Are you seeing that? And are you seeing a greater demand now for your services we than you We absolutely
11: are. In the United States, the pilot retirement age is 65 years. We have um, here in the U.S. what's known as the baby boomer generation, which was after the wars, was a huge increase in the population. Well, that huge, uh, the airline industry, a huge amount of it is part of that baby boomer generation. And the FAA is expecting a very Uh, significant uh, void within the airline industry right now because of these baby boomer generations and of this mandatory retirement age. This was a concern a few years back and amongst other reasons they actually increase the retirement age because when these pilots do retire they are afraid that the majority of our flight instructors are going to start flooding and filling in these gaps. We have about one percent of the population here are flight instructors which is about 400,000 people which isn't a lot when you put things in perspective but the FAA does believe that there will be enough voids to vacuum the majority of our instructors out so we do see an, a significant increase uh, approaching us the times are great the FAA here in the United States is actually expecting travel to increase if not double if not triple mm. within the years to come yep. so pilots are needed, Uh, we're losing pilots, we have more people flying, there is definitely a job opportunity on the horizon.
1: Now one of the interesting uh, things you said there just at the start is that you also do uh, military training. So Mm -hmm. what aspects of that? Is that like a preparation course for people who are prospective pilots or do you actually have contracted training with the military?
11: We actually, uh, it's... um not necessarily contracted agreement What we are uh, what we do is just known as ROTC training where students can actually come to Embry-Riddle we have actual ROTC military uh, members serving within the educational realm and then they will in conjunction to their Embry-Riddle degree they'll prepare for an officer position within the military we have all four branches army air force navy and marine and students it is separate though students will apply to the ROTC and they'll apply to Embry-Riddle if admitted into Embry-Riddle and interested in the ROTC por- our portion or program, what they'll do is they'll apply to the ROTC. If the ROTC admits them, they'll admit them to attend Embry-Riddle to get their degree. And then ultimately, once they're done with their degree, they'll commission as a second lieutenant officer within their branch. And they'll serve in that military, uh, in the military realm. And I mean, the degrees vary as far as what they can pursue and the careers obviously vary as well. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Yep. And uh, if people are prospective pilots and they're looking at coming over to the United States to uh, partake
11: of one of your courses, where would they find you online? They can find us at www.embryriddle.edu uh, online. That's the main website. If they're coming overseas, there is uh, they can click on any campus: they Daytona Beach, Prescott, or worldwide, and they can find the same information it applies this it's the same whether you're domestic or international the only main differences come for international students they just have to fill out an extra page an affidavit form of financial um, information and everything else is the same though the admissions requirements uh they're evaluated as a domestic student
1: yeah and i imagine there would be some sort of uh security vetting they'd have to go through with the for flight uh, that
11: yeah. is correct yep. if they want to do flight program yes they will have to prove at the u.s citizenship for the flight training if, if i'm not mistaken. Or Could TSA any, clearance. Or TSA clearance
1: yeah. at a minimum. Yeah, okay. No worries. Very interesting stuff. Very well presented here. It's a lovely new Diamond aircraft. In fact, we're standing in front of So yes. you've obviously got a very high standard of aircraft. Very yes. impressive to see. A fleet of over 100 airplanes. So lovely. when you add both campuses together. Fantastic. Pablo, thanks very much for You're speaking to us. You're very welcome. Thank, Thank you,
11: you guys for letting me be here.
1: Well, there we go, Grant. And uh, you know, a really busy day of interviews. It's been—it's uh, quite hard to get around. I mean, I know when I went out to the—well, uh, I was going to call it Aeroshell Square, but I think it's called Conoco Square Conoco Plaza. And you sort of look around the place and you think, <laughs> where, where am I going to start? Because uh, you know, it was, it was very difficult to look around. But we've got a lot of other interviews. I'll actually be speaking to Mike Goulian tomorrow. I'll be really looking forward to that. Cool. Uh, so that was it. And of course, you heard Baz Chef is there. Baz is not with us now. He's even more exhausted than we are. So he's—he's uh, he's not actually staying here at Camp Shola where we are. But uh, the other voice that you heard in those interviews was none other than our very own co-chairing historian david vanderhoof how are you david
3: good guys um, i have to admit it was kind of fun watching you guys be completely overwhelmed can't say that enough i told you so but tomorrow will be better
2: yeah, come on mate no matter how many times you tell me i'm still going to put my uh, fork into the electrical socket just
3: to <laughs> see just to see if i can handle it but well, yeah. we're, we're having a great time um, from from being the North American correspondent it is nice having my team here from Australia so yeah well we have other we have we have others in we, this firebase my hey, transponder if you guys i don't think i would have possibly imagined that we would be standing here in a campsite of podcasters and it is just Awesome. It's I'm a
1: podcasting mecca, and I mean, we've got uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, mobile studio here that uh, the My Transponder guys have set up, and we'll be talking a, bit, a little bit about that uh, in uh, later shows, but uh, boy, we've got more equipment here. You know, Grant, I was very grateful to uh, not have to cart my studio halfway across the planet, and uh, you know, I could have just about not brought any of my stuff, because uh, the Sennheiser folks here, Canon and Ican, have uh, given us some, uh, some amazing equipment, and some video equipment as well, which we're going to be making good use of. But, as well uh,
3: as some adult beverages. Let's not forget.
1: Yes, to we've done the...
2: great we've done Jeremiah Weed. Yes, and I thought it was actually quite nice, and I went back for <laughs> seconds, and you know what? I, it's only 45% alcohol. I don't see where the
3: problem is. It's nice. It came out well, of the freezer, and it went down the throat. It was I, great. And it was kind of funny because... Grant and I did the shot together, so the goody-two-two historian actually ha- did two this weekend. So.
1: Somewhere around, Steve Tupper is banging his head against the dashboard I can, I of his plane right or, now. I reckon I
2: could go three or four before <laughs> I fall over at I'll least. take that challenge. Yeah, definitely.
1: Now, another voice <laughs> that we good. hear sometimes yeah. in the uh, sweepers coming out of our ad bikes is uh, Pilot Stew of the Pilot's Journey podcast, oh. and he's standing right there right here with us. Hello, Stu.
10: Hello there, and welcome
3: to America.
1: Well, thank you very much, and uh, a newly minted commercial pilot. So, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so that was a long journey for you. That uh, that was a long pilot's journey for you.
3: It was,
12: and uh, I actually got my first paying gig to come up here, so I got to fly a Piper Sport, actually the Sport Cruiser.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that was a lot of fun. You had a lot of time in that aircraft to listen to your podcast. You don't have well, a fair do, bit of time, yeah. <laughs>
12: Um, I didn't have a lot of t- time in it. I worked with it a lot, but that was with uh, ground students. Yeah. Uh, I'd only had about five hours in it before I flew it up here.
1: So now you've got your commercial license. You're going to move on, and we've talked about this, I know, but for the audience, um, maybe CFI something like that? That's my goal is to get CFI done this summer, oh. latest relief fall. Now, yeah. we need to ask what CFI Stu thinks of this because yeah. it'll be CFI Stu and, and CFI Pilot Stu. Oh,
2: I'm going to get confused here. Yeah, and and Mike's even talking and about it. it too, so it'll be you know, oh. CFI Mike Stu. Oh,
1: there you it's go. It's going to be the CFI cast. Oh, sorry, <laughs> no, that's taken. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey now, yeah.
11: dormant. Oh, I think I've heard that voice.
1: Yeah. Now we've got uh, Dave Allen here. Dave, how's it going? Oh, very well. Now we've uh, we've done something really interesting just now. We've uh, sat in front of some uh, some spotlights and done a video in- intro for uh, your new podcast.
13: Yeah, the, for the Other People's airplane show. That uh, I got my my friend Damon Favor from the, the Pursuit of Wings podcast was here, and and we're we're the two of us are just teaming up trying to cover the grounds, which is. Like a joke to even attempt, but we're doing the best we can to try to bring the audience along for the ride.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's what really what it's all about. That's what we tried to do at Avalon was um, try and do some video, and I don't know that we'll be doing as much video as you are this time around. But uh, with some of the equipment we've got here is certainly going to make that a lot easier.
13: It sure is. I mean, there's so much great stuff, and, and and the lights. You know, the thing is, we figure that by the end of this, we'll actually know how to do all this stuff and we'll actually create the video. But <laughs> we've got enough toys here to actually make it work, and it's 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 pretty cool. That But the people. I mean, you've already. Made Mentioned it a minute ago that we're here at Firebase My Transponder, and it's like the 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 per capita of of, of podcasters in this area has probably never been matched on this planet in terms of <laughs> aviation podcasts. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's you know, when you talk, we talk about the large scale of this place, but this is a large scale podcast meetup, and I think it just proves that this this area of media is really becoming so, a, a strong force that, from that sort of...
13: It's certainly not going anywhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we're committing pod because we're all
13: cross-channeling. <laughs> <laughs> cross mogenation, yeah. The
2: pollination yeah. concept. Oh.
1: <laughs> hey, Damon, tell us a bit about your show. Uh,
9: my show is chronically in my journey from a private pilot into a professional pilot and trying to make a um, 31 year old career change Uh, after 13 years of my present career I'm changing and I have a wife and two kids so I'm going to bring everybody along for the bumpy ride and hopefully uh, make something out of it cool
1: Yep, and uh, people are enjoying it. How many episodes have you put out
9: in? Uh, only four so far, but uh, there's a lot in the can. And uh, I'm here to pump out content all week. And yep. That's that's what I'm doing with Dave. And I think, uh, I know for personally for me, social media fills the void of true aviation society at my airport there's there's just no no nobody that wants to hang out talk anything about airplanes they mostly don't even want to fly airplanes so social media is it for me
1: yep yeah, nothing like preaching to the converted, and you know we can preach to anybody and and uh, talk about it. In fact, one of the big uh, the big issues that we've come across here in America is the uh, issue of user fees. Yeah. that's that's been big in the news here. So uh, you know, to my you know American friends around here, what do we think of user fees? Besides, they suck. <laughs> is
13: there anything else? Yeah, I think that was pretty succinct. Yeah, does it. What what
1: what can be done? to stop this i mean you guys write to your congressman what do you what do you do to stop this from happening it seems to be a fight that's happening for you guys it's a fight that's lost in australia i mean our our system is blanketed with user fees and it's just so detrimental so you know how do we stop that from happening here
13: you know we 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 had the the thing with the with the the comment the request for comment and stuff and, and the overwhelming majority of people like some obscene percentage of people were against the user fees and, and the, the or get for the, uh, was it the large aircraft? Yeah, the large aircraft security, large aircraft security proposal. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the camel's nose under the tent thing as far as I see it. You know, if they can get a little bit, then they can get a little bit more, they can get a little bit more. They were completely shot down. But the fact that they even tried bothers me because I don't know, you know, what, at what point are they just going to do it? You know, and, and I, So playing the devil's advocate, can it be stopped? Can it be stopped? I don't know. They'll keep trying. because
2: From what I've heard from everyone around and uh, talking to folks while I've been here, they're going to keep trying, and they'll just keep trying, because somebody's out to make a lot of money in some corporations and some government people. Because when you go to user fees, who's paying the user fees and to whom? Is it to the government? Is it to the corporations who are going to run it? Who's it going to? Those people who who stand to make a lot of money have a vested interest in making this occur. So they're going to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until eventually everyone over here goes, I just can't fight this fight anymore, rolls over, lets the little one in, and pff,
1: you're stuffed. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Rob Mark from uh, Jetwine later in the week, and he's been very vocal on the Airplane Geeks this week and has actually been giving out. Uh, he gave out a phone number that people can ring to find out who their local... I guess uh, congressman uh, congressman (laughs) is yeah so uh, maybe people should listen to uh, this week's Airplane Geeks and just to find out who that is
9: I think it's important to note we do pay user fees we just pay them in the form of fuel taxes Yeah. and nobody's saying that we don't want to pay fuel taxes they're even saying let's increase fuel taxes because that bureaucracy is already set in place to collect the taxes we don't want to create another bureaucracy that's going to cost more money to collect a new form of tax or fee and that's exactly what happens you wind up with a new bureaucracy that winds up chewing most of the money that you've got from this fee
2: to maintain itself. And then it grows. And who ever heard of a government that got rid of, ooh, taxes, ooh, bureaucracies? Bureaucracies, once they exist, do not go back. Look at the TSA, it just keeps growing. Look at taxes, they just keep staying there or get amalgamated at best. But, you know, once it gets in, you're
13: yes. out of here. Your point about, about uh, it, you know, you collect the user fee and then you have to find somebody to make, to, to collect that. Yeah, well, uh, a so, well, guy I knew used to fly into, I think, Canada. Does Canada have... Yeah, he's a
2: fees type system, he, yeah.
13: So he landed and had to pay $20 for this. And so somebody had to collect his tail number. Somebody had to find who owned that airplane. And then somebody had to create an invoice and then bill for this $20 landing fee. And then somebody had to reconcile this and make sure that that got paid. And if it does get paid, great. They have to take out whatever transaction fees it is to, to, to take this money if it happens to be, say, a credit card. And or, and if it doesn't get paid, then somebody has to go and then try to collect this. And I mean, how much money has been spent to collect that $20 right now? It's, it's stupid to even attempt to do this. But the government doesn't seem to think so that's what just boggles my mind they
2: just see a source of income because it looks very much like your uh, slush you know, all that money that you've paid in taxes and fuel, right, it's all gone into the cookie jar, but what's happened is successive generations of government, and I'm not just talking about the current one, I'm talking about all the way back we've seen this in Australia, all the way back, instead of investing in infrastructure or things like that they've raided the cookie jar, Oh, we need it for this, we'll put it back in later, Oh, we need it for that, we'll put it back in, because there's a source of money that's just sitting there and then next thing you know, suddenly you start needing it because people aren't flying as much and we need to do all those upgrades and we need all this and, oh, it's not there. Oh, well, we better get some more money. Don't tell everyone that it's not there. We'll just add this extra tax.
1: Well, we're uh, no doubt following this. It, it seems to be everywhere you go here that seems to be, uh, you know, a real uh, red-hot issue uh, amongst, uh, you know, American pilots and why wouldn't it be? So, you uh, it's something that uh, I guess we can preach the gospel and say, look what happened to our country. Look what it did, you know, for us. <laughs> not. So, we, you know, we don't want that. Now, Kent, you're here with us as well we're surrounded by podcasters yes I'm uh, glad to be with you and I'm glad to finally meet you guys in person and
12: see that you're actually upright yeah yeah upright.
2: <laughs> that's why my head's spinning all the time that's probably why the Jeremiah weed works so well for me Yeah, I'm already inverted
1: yeah awesome so now you're here for your show which is the pilot cast the pilot cast one of the ones yeah.
12: yeah I think well we're not I guess the longest or oldest podcast because uh, Joe Dion from Fly With Me of course was yeah. probably the first one that was really yeah. you know had a good production value and everything but we've been yeah. we've been around for a while uh, long enough to pretty much turn over the cast so <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: yeah but this, this do is you, our do you have you had a spin off I think every plane Geeks is the only one that can say we've had a spin-off. Well, no, there's the
13: CFI cast. Oh well,
12: well. yeah, we had the CFI cast there and the AME go. cast and but all they've that. also too, but...
13: absorbed the student pilot cast. That's
12: right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not absorbed. It's yeah.
13: just slightly
7: dormant. Well, you know,
12: <laughs> Bill's Bill's podcast has yet to pass its
1: check rise, so.
7: <laughs> oh <God. laughs>
1: I wish to mention that's uh, Bill Williams. Yep. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to the circle. Thanks. Glad
3: to be here. I, I yeah. have one question
1: though. I I didn't realize that Australians didn't wear shoes. Well, we're not wearing uh, shoes now because my feet are so sore after walking around no, here all day.
2: I've been pounding tarmac and all that so much that I like a little bit of grass, even if it's been under podcaster feet for a long time. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, no, well,
2: occasionally we wear the, um, oh, sorry, uh, sandals, jandals, what do you guys call them down here? The things oh, flip that you Flip-flops. Flip-flops, thank Flip-flops, you. Flip-flops, there you because go. Because what we call them in Australia is something very different according to you. Like, yeah, you know, growing up you? in
7: California, we call them the same thing you do. Like. Oh, oh really? thongs.
2: Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. What is
1: that? Thongs. We call oh, okay. them thongs, which yeah. it, it, stunned I've, silence. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard them called that. In the '70s, takes on a new
2: connotation now. Not in the
1: Australian iTunes store. store. That's oh, a
2: thongs <laughs> are G-rated, and it's it's like you say, oh, I'm going to put my thongs on to go to the shower, and everyone just has these mental images and starts screaming. It's yeah.
7: great. <laughs> well, it, is, it is really great to be here and finally meet you guys. Been listening for so long, and no, oh, we yeah, appreciate that you could make it this time. you. and
12: we we're glad that you've continued the tradition where you know we played you on the Potapalooza last year. You you're of course required to show up in person this year. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll they said that the first good. time we did it. So well
5: take
2: it two Oh, It took us two goes to actually get across the dateline and, and equate yeah. yeah, There you go. We've uh, been yeah, stuck yeah, in that yeah.
5: balloon
1: this whole time. It's yeah, been yeah, a long yeah. trip. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's does bring up
3: a good point. Thursday, all of us are going to be sitting in a room or rooms or I don't know how Outside, it's going to work. Outside in a tent. Outside. Outside in a tent. And we're going to have Potapalooza palooza on steroids <laughs> it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome
12: yes it is we're, we're doing something different with potapalooza this year than we've done in the past because last year we were in the largest forum building they have here at air venture and the stage was pretty well overflowing and so we decided that uh, we needed to do something a little bit different this year and uh, so that's what we're gonna do. We're kinda kinda have a mixed small group and people are gonna move in and out and we'll we'll see how that works it's and gonna, hopefully it's, it's fun.
2: S- it's gonna be speed dating for podcasting. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. there you go.
7: I, I like that better than podcast incest, I'll and tell it, you that.
5: That's
3: oh. <laughs> no,
2: called,
7: called pod- podcast. Podcast. <laughs> gotcha,
5: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I'm the pod father here to talk to you about pod sass but
2: speed dating man.
1: <laughs> well on that rather weird note we might wrap this episode up <laughs> you got a whole lot of podcasters standing
2: around a microphone after a few shots of Jeremiah Weed. of course it gets weird <laughs>
12: absolutely well let's all do another shot and see yes, what happens please.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> now of course we want to mention too once again Grant that we're here due to some uh, very very generous sponsorship that uh, we've got here and we've heard ads for, uh, for all those great sponsors during the show we'll hear them again in the end credits but uh, we also want to mention some some, some very generous donations we've had from our listeners, really, really humbling and uh, really touching. Actually, I mean, t- to come here and to be amongst all you guys is—I uh, got to tell you—it's quite an emotional experience for us. I mean, we never dreamed we would be here, so it's—we uh, want to thank our listeners who put their hands in their pockets for us. There's been many of you, too many to mention here right now, but uh, yeah, we just want to say we appreciate it.
2: Definitely, wouldn't be here without them. Uh, wouldn't be here without the sponsors, and uh, well, we're here to have fun and take you along for the ride. We, we
6: want to thank them too.
13: Yeah. 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 I'm, I, am for one, i am super glad that you guys made it.
2: Yes. You guys will change the tune by the
1: end of the week. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I, I can honestly say there's probably nobody under this tent right now that is more grateful for the fact that you two crossed whatever it was to get here. Because you guys are my friends and yeah. it's awesome to have my staff here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is going so well. I He's, been, <laughs> He's been running with that line all week. <laughs> this, is,
2: this is great. This is what I was saying on the Airplane Geeks the other day when I was sitting next to Dan Webb. It's like, this is great. We're finally in the one room. We can reach out and touch each
1: other. Like <laughs> that. Okay, we're going to sign it off here. We're coming to you from Camp Scholar here at AirVenture 2011, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, USA, planet Earth. Just remember, guys, it's, it's what's
2: down under the couch. Especially when it comes up and over to Oshkosh.
0: You've been listening to Plain Crazy Down Under with Steve Vischer, Grant McCarren, Dave Vanderhoof and Baz Shepherds. Recorded live at AirVenture 2011 Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Proudly sponsored by JetRide Australia, Crazy Racing, Gibbs Aero, Aviation Advertiser and Thromby Air. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, video and photo sites. Our PCDU Twitter feed can be found at playingcrazydownunder.com. For feedback, story ideas and advertising inquiries, drop us a line at any time, downunder at gmail.com. Production facilities at AirVenture were provided by MyTransponder.com and supported by Sennheiser, Canon and ICANN. Playing Crazy Down Under is the Southern Skies online media production. A proud member of the Lifestyle Pod Network.